Science is under attack. That seems to be what scientists agree on. But people who organized the March for Science in D.C. didn't come out and blame President Donald Trump for the situation, even though it's his budget that would cut funding for environmental programs across the country. That decision to be nonpartisan became something of a come-to-Jesus moment for scientists. In the Trump era, issues of diversity are linked to politics seemingly in new ways. The march became a series of questions each scientist had to answer for themselves. Like, should scientists be partisan? And what does being partisan mean? And how does being partisan or not being partisan relate to standing or not standing with marginalized people? In this episode, we talk to three scientists who are kids of immigrants about the choices they're making right now and why. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this is Otherhood. Okay, we are recording. Shandha Prescott-Weinstein is a universe cosmologist. She researches things like space-time. In the first 24 hours that the Facebook group existed... That's the Facebook group started by March organizers in late January. I was one of the, I don't know, tens of thousands of people who either got added or joined the group. And actually initially volunteered to participate as part of the social media team because I volunteer too much, I think. <laughs> Volunteering is important to her. Her family has a background in civil rights work. It became evident really quickly that the people who had organized the Facebook group were quite young and kind of new to doing organizing. And I'm a postdoctoral fellow. I'm not a student. And I've been doing organizing for a really long time. And I just thought, if this is something where people who are just, you know, figuring out how to do things are going to be organizing, then possibly it won't be a good match for me to be taking direction from them. That was just me being honest about, like, what I had time for and kind of where I was in terms of how I wanted to spend my time. I asked her to break that down. What happened exactly? The Facebook group was already having some really messy conversations that I didn't want to expose myself to any more than I already have to deal with them. A friend of mine who is a white trans woman had actually very early on asked a question about it in the group. And already people had had pretty nasty responses. You know, best case scenario, they were thoughtless responses. Like, I thought that race didn't matter. Well, that's nice to live a life where you think race doesn't matter. Race clearly does matter, Chanda says, because there must be some reason she's among such an extreme minority of Black Americans in science. By her count, she's the 63rd Black American woman to earn a PhD in physics. Her mom's Black, from Barbados, and her dad's Jewish. He was born in the U.S. but spent years in Trinidad and the U.K. Chanda grew up in East L.A. The March organizers did reach out to her and ask her to participate. But she says they asked, like, we need more diversity. Come get involved. That struck a nerve because Chanda gets that a lot. I get approached with some frequency by white scientists who are like, we would really like you to be involved with this thing because we feel like it's not diverse enough. And I, I feel a little bit like, you know, I have value besides being diverse. It feels a little bit like, hello, diverse person. I am concerned that things are not diverse enough. Give me cookies for noticing that things are not diverse enough and for wanting to include you. She thinks if the march was really inclusive, it would be openly against Trump and other Republicans whose policies are targeting undocumented immigrants or Muslims or other minorities. 
Shanda grew up with people like that, and she identifies with them. It feels wrong to downplay their experiences, specifically under this administration, and she thinks it's important to show solidarity. I don't make a distinction of like, oh, those people aren't black. Um, you know, they're from Pakistan or they're from um, Guatemala. Like, we're all now dealing with how people feel about people like us in an American context. Shanda could have tried to get her message out. The Boston March organizers asked her to speak. I talked about it with my family. I had two long conversations with my dad about speaking and then maybe saying things that I had agreed I wouldn't say. (laughs) The possible physical danger that that could put me in wasn't worth it. I have friends who get emails on a regular basis with rape threats in them. All of us are dealing with hate mail um, and hate tweets. I get anti-black stuff. I get anti-Jewish stuff. It's awful. She's not even going to the march. The stakes are too high, she says. People like those in Flint, Michigan, suffer the consequences. Three years ago this month, Flint's water was switched to a contaminated source, and they still can't drink unfiltered tap water. If we're looking at the future of American science, History teaches us that when you exclude certain people from your scientific community or when you don't attend to the very real and present dangers that they're facing, that it destroys your scientific community. And so I I don't think that this is necessarily, I don't know, for lack of a better euphemism, a black or white situation where like it's them versus us and I'm against the organizers and they're against me. Um, that there can be nuances and that we can be in disagreement with one another. And I think at this point I would say that I disagree with the alignment that they have chosen. And at the same time, I understand the optimism that people are coming to the conversation with. And maybe I don't share it. But there's a part of me that also hopes that they're right and that I'm wrong. And that like this was totally the right thing to do. And that it's going to save lives. And that it's going to end the harassment of Muslim scientists. That somehow this is all going to come together to get us the, the future and the just peace that we want. I can hear you. Can you oh, hear me? Gosh. I'm so sorry. I have no idea what happened. Were you just listening to me, like, just talk to myself? I apologize. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. you, you sounded so frustrated. <laughs> I was. You're just like, I'm doing the right thing. I am calling this person. <laughs> I am saying words, and nothing is working. I asked March organizers for someone to talk to about the diversity issues. They set me up with Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, an oceanographer and independent consultant. She grew up in Brooklyn, but she's got ocean in her family. So my dad is from Jamaica, and my mother's parents are from Newfoundland, and their parents are from Ireland. Ayanna joined the organizers about a week into the planning. The first week, they put together a diversity committee, the first committee that was formed. So diversity was not an afterthought. It was the first committee that was formed. And when I came on to work on partnerships, I was offered the opportunity to be a member of that committee, which I thought, great, I care about these issues a lot, so maybe I'll be able to help out with that stuff. So I started working with the diversity committee, and we started getting criticism that the diversity statement was separate than the the rest of the principles, or that the diversity statement wasn't robust enough, or that it was too big. Um, So we kind of got 
criticism from all angles. A lot of people saying, like, why are you spending so much time on diversity? This is about science. A lot of people, you know, who are also saying, like, you're not giving enough credit to diversity. It's a really big deal. So it was kind of like we were caught between these two things. Ayanna says the committee was just trying to be responsive and to get things right, or as right as they could be. And then the feedback was, they keep changing it. (laughs) The feedback we got was, they keep changing the diversity statement. And we were like, well, we're changing it to improve it based on the feedback we're getting which seems sort of scientific, like you learn, you put something out in the world, people don't like it, they give you feedback, you improve it. It definitely felt like, wow, we can't win, right? And then, of course, it's social media, so everything is sound bites, and it's very hard to communicate about really complex issues in 140 characters. And then there was that whole Bill Nye thing. You know Bill Nye, the guy from the PBS Kids Science Show. He's one of the March's honorary co-chairs. Some news outlets reported that Nye was the first pick, and organizers added two more co-chairs to appear more inclusive. We released our three co-chairs, and all all the press focused on Bill Nye. And I was really disappointed because we have these two amazing women of color who have done phenomenal things in their careers for science and for society, and they didn't get any of the headlines, which was really a bummer because we wanted their work to be recognized, too. The, the narrative had become they're bad on diversity. They're just using these people as a cover for that. And I was like, no, these are amazing people. Like anyone who looks at these at their resumes knows these are amazing, incredible scientists. So I think we just got ourselves into this like can't win situation. But there have definitely been mistakes, like especially on our social media. Like there have definitely been mistakes. She says they tried to get diversity committee members involved in all the marsh's communications so those mistakes wouldn't happen. But in an instantaneous social media world, that's tough. Meanwhile, Ayana says some members of the diversity committee were under attack. I was not personally attacked. I know some people were like personally kind of like harassed about like tweets that went out or things that they were associated with. I for whatever reason, haven't had that problem. I've been trying to engage where I can, but it's very time-consuming, obviously, to have back and forth with every critic. I don't want to have those conversations all day, every day, but I think as a community, we definitely need to be grappling with the history of oppression and inequities in science, with the sexism and racism and xenophobia and ableism and privilege issues that are inherent in science just as they are in society. Science is a microcosm, right? So it's a great opportunity to say, like, okay, we're airing our dirty laundry. Like, let's figure it out. How can we be better? What are the steps that need to be taken? I think that's an important step. That's why the march is political, but not partisan. We want to hold Democrats and Republicans and independents and Green Party members and libertarians all accountable. So you can be political and nonpartisan. You can push for ideas for all parties. This march certainly arose because people were really concerned about the present administration. I think this just, it became very clear that this was a pivotal moment. And so it's not necessarily Democrat or Republican, but there are some very concerning things happening under this particular administration. No one would be talking about this at this amplitude if the March for Science didn't exist. The organization is certainly imperfect and young, 
it's just been three months, right? So we're working on it. Mona? Hello? Yep, can you hear me? I can. I can hear you now. Yay! Mona Hanna teaches a local pediatrician in Flint, Michigan. She listened when people complained about their water. She didn't believe state test results, and along with a team, did her own. Then they held a press conference to announce the results. This research is concerning. These results are concerning. And when our national guiding organizations tell us primary prevention is the most important thing and that lead poisoning is potentially irreversible, then we have to say something. It was brazen. State authorities first said she was just wrong. But that ended up being the tipping point when Flint got enough attention for something to change. This week marks a year since criminal charges were filed. But the people of Flint to this day still cannot drink unfiltered tap water. Government has supplied filters, there's a supply of bottled water, but there's still a lot of anxiety about their water quality. It's improving, but it's not completely safe yet. Mona's devotion to Flint and her strong feeling of duty to its people came from a culture half a world away. Her family's Iraqi. They fled the country and Mona was born in the UK. Then they moved to Michigan. I think as an, as an immigrant, you know, as almost a, a refugee and growing up in this kind of experience of family members still under tyranny, I think you, you grow up with like this heightened sense of like this, almost like this antenna that have this heightened sense of injustice. And I think this is a common thread of, of many immigrant communities is that you are a village, you take care of your villagers, and no matter where you may end up calling your own village, and my village now is Flint, you take care of the people in your village. Unfortunately, in the media, we we see all these different stereotypes of Arabs, and the first thing people think of are terrorists or Muslims, or, you know, there's so many negative connotations right now. But our tradition is one of caretaking. There's a large history of Arabs in medicine, but also of building societies and, and, and caring for each other. Mona's really big on using her new platform to advocate. So she points out that her family probably wouldn't make it into the country today. What the current presidential administration is recommending and instituting would limit people from like me, little girls, little brown girls from other countries who are fleeing situations that are out of their control for opportunities. But those same people keeping out little brown girls like Mona, Mona's still willing to ask them for help. Uh, you know, Right from the moment that we, you know, shared our research and realized what was going on in this water crisis, my commitment became to to tomorrow. It became, you know, how am I going to work with anybody to improve, you know, the situation? So I, you know, I'm working with the current administration, both at the city, the state and the federal level to make change. We don't always agree, but by and large, you know, lots of positive things have come into play. This is not a partisan issue. This is a humanitarian issue. So it's not an issue of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. It's an issue that everybody needs to embrace. I actually ran into President Trump about a year ago at the Time 100 event. He was also one of the Time 100 most influential people who were inducted at this event. And my husband's like, are you really going to go talk to him? I'm like, yeah, I want to go talk to him. And I went up to him, I'm like, you know, hi, I'm Dr. Mona. I'm from Flint. And we're in the middle of this water crisis. And, you know, I invite you to come to our city. The Democrats at that time, both, you know, Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders had come to Flint. And, he, you know, he said he would come and he actually did come. He came. And this happened. 
now Hillary Clinton. Mr. Trump, I invited you here to thank us for what oh, we've done. Oh, oh, okay. Not okay. To give a that's good. And I'm going to go Trump back. visited a church and tried to talk politics, and the pastor politely stopped him. Dr. Mona, though, still has hope. We are at a day and an age where science is being dismissed, from vaccines, from climate change, to the public health regu- regulations that protect our air and our water. So we need the voice, the credible, the nonpartisan, the unbiased voice of science at the table to reaffirm that science matters and we need to believe in science and it should help influence our policy. And yeah, Mona's heard about all the talk around diversity, Bill Nye, and her appointment to March co-chair. It's kind of funny because every day we see pictures of our presidential administration uh, where the president is surrounded by slews of white men. And we're and then there's this big issue about the diversity and the March of Science. So I understand that it's an issue, but I think there's huge other diversity issues that we need to be tackling. My field in pediatrics is dominated by women and many, many people of color from all over. Obviously, we have so much room to grow in so many other scientific disciplines. But I think where we need to be attacking diversity is not in science labs and in medicine, but in our legislative offices. Mona feels she has to prioritize immediate problems, like the psychological burden her patients and neighbors carry after being betrayed by their government. By and large, that's the biggest issue that we face right now, is the mental health issues. People are like, oh, have you seen the impacts of lead already? Uh, What do you see in your clinic? And by and large, what we see is that stress, that anxiety, that trauma. So you you can almost think of it like PTSD for the entire community. This is an entire population that was betrayed by every governmental agency that was supposed to protect them. Um, And not just for a short period, for a full 18 months of betrayal. And this is really kind of on on decades of betrayal. Flint as a city has been neglected for quite some time. And then you add the water crisis on top of that. So what we see is this, this huge distrust of government. Some people won't even use the filters because they came from government. So it's going to take a very, very long time for that trust to be rebuilt. But there's still a lot that needs to happen. We've done great things for the kids. For example, we have universal preschool. We have new childcare centers. We have mobile grocery stores. We've expanded healthcare access. But a lot of these things are, are time limited. For example, for two or three years, they're funded. These things need to continue for perpetuity, at least for the next few years and decades, because this is an issue that we'll be having to deal with for years and decades. However, there's a lot of concern that we will see many, many more flints to come through the dismissal of science, through the cuts to public health regulations, public health agencies with threats to healthcare coverage. This is all perfect setups for many, many more environmental injustices. So she's marching alongside Bill Nye with thousands of others. The ethical questions scientists are facing right now are confusing because the answers aren't determined by science. They're about experiences and feelings and beliefs. I think everyone must be facing some form of that. They must have their own set of new questions they're asking themselves as the tone of the country changes. Tweet me on Twitter about it, or keep talking to me on Facebook, or just message me. I know some of you like to talk just one-on-one. Thanks for listening. I'm Rupa Shinoy. And this has been Otherhood from PRI. Hare Krishna, Hare Ram.